The following episode of Shower for the Soul contains language or subject matter that might not be suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Shower for the Soul, a podcast where we explore today's issues affecting our mental health and well-being. It's all about life, health, and wealth, and us. Grab a chair and a spot around the table, and let's start sharing. Now, here's our host, Shane Fame Alexander. And we're back. What's going on, Shane? Here, Shane Alexander, Show for the Soul, Season Three, Episode Three. <laughs> I lost track. I think it's episode three. Yeah, we did the two shows with Corey, and then I took a break because I was moving. And I'm yeah, I moved twice. So the first one wasn't um, as pleasant as I thought it would be. So I kind of found a new place. So I moved in actually last week, um, Monday, and uh, and I'm recording this on Monday. Uh, November 2nd. This will be relevant because coming up later on uh, today, we'll be talking to Michael Hainsworth about news. And I thought it was um, a very important subject to cover, especially this week with the election, which will be tomorrow. This airs on Wednesday. So by the time this airs, we would know who's in power in the States. But I think that this is a very important conversation to have this week with COVID and with the election and, you know, 2020, how does news or how has news affected your mental health? So we'll be talking about that with my buddy Michael Hainsworth coming up in a bit. So, yeah, I moved and I'm just settling in, which brings me to some house cleaning uh, right now. So we got my first two episodes with Corey that aired, uh, in September. And then I took October off. Now we're back here and I don't think I'll be able to do a weekly episode. I'm still going to hit my eight episode mark for, um, season three. However, I don't think it'll be as consistent. Let me just tell you this. I, um, just really getting used to being in my new place and work and everything and shuffling around a new schedule kind of thing. So I'm really not sure where I'm at, but I still want to complete this ep- the season for you and talk about stuff that's coming up because I think they're very important subjects. I'm just not promising it's going to be every week. All right. I do have a few shows being planned as I speak and they're in the works and I know that there are shows in the pipe ready to spring out. I just don't know when they will be airing. Okay. So don't worry if, you know, next week there'll be no, uh, be an episode. It's just, I don't know when it'll be in. So I'm aiming for the next episode. Really? I think will be the week of the 17th. So that'll be in like in two weeks. Because um, I got I got a guest for that week, and then uh, it'll probably air on the 18th. 
cross fingers, okay? So just to let you know about that. Michael Hainsworth is coming up in just a bit. I am Shannon Sanders, Shower for the Soul, episode three of season three. Good to be back. News guy, broadcaster, CTV, uh, Bloomberg, CP24, Michael Hainsworth, Geeks and Beats, father also for eight <laughs> years. How you doing, bud? I'm doing okay. That's, that's quite the, the laundry list of places I've worked. The funniest thing about it is that because of the nature of the, the media industry and how really only two or three companies own pretty much everything, I work for one large company and end up uh, piecemealing all of my content and knowledge to all of the ancillary operations that they've got. So it looks like I have worked everywhere, and I kind of have, <laughs> but a lot of that was with one single company. And within one building. Right. Yeah, that was the beautiful thing. That was one of the craziest things about working at 299 Queen Street West in Toronto, the Much Music Building, if you're a Gen Xer. And the, the, just being able to walk through those doors every day after being a teenager and going, you know what, one day I want to work in TV and that's the building I want to work in. And to actually do it. The crazy irony, of course, is that um, the on-air people don't walk in through the front door every day. They come yeah. in through the back door. Yeah. Uh, so despite the, the fact that I had my name on the side of the building with my face, um, and if you walked through the lobby, there was my headshot right there in the rogues gallery. Um, I came in through the back door every day to start <laughs> my job which is kind of metaphorical for the entire industry if you ask me yeah you'll be walking by the, your poster and you'll be like uh no that's not me now uh we're like we're both news guys at heart uh falling in love with radio and broadcasting um my first memory of really finding out about news and just falling in love with how they broadcasted it i don't know if you remember this but it was when the young shepherd building was on fire and I was listening to AM640, Kenny the Hitman. Kenny the Hitman Coglin on the hog. Exactly. <laughs> and he lived in those buildings. And instead of calling 911, he called the bat phone at AM640. the radio station. <laughs> and, and Gene Valaitis answered the phone. And they started doing this whole morning play-by-play -play news, breaking news type of coverage of what was really happening in that building, I just fell in love with the news aspect of it. 
I, it reminds me of the time when somebody cut down the guide wires uh, to the uh, transmitter tower on top of the Chum building on 1331 Young Street, and it fell over onto the building across the street. If I recall correctly, they broadcast from outside the building about the chaos because they were still wired up to the CN Tower, if I recall. Oh, so, okay. so you could still hear the radio station, but um, the quality was a little bit different. And so there they were after somebody had uh, uh, climbed up with, a, I guess, a, uh, some sort of mechanical way of cutting through those terrible cables, those massive cables and, and knocked the thing over. But uh, your love of, of radio and radio news speaks to the immediacy of the medium. And as newscasters, we, we, we shared a news room for eight years. It can't get stressful, not only for the listener, but for us, for, for creating it and finding out, can we be the first organization kind of to do this and let everyone know. The first memory I have with Geeks and Beats of doing that was the Gian Gameshi story when at first I thought it was like, you know, I went to the newsroom and said, hey, Gian just got let go of CBC. Is this something we should cover? And then within a few hours, it became what it became. Um, as a newscaster, how is it really in the newsroom, um, like a TV newsroom when news breaks, COVID or you know the election or a fire at Young and Shepherd? When something goes down in the news world and there's breaking news on whatever that data point may be, a couple of things kick in. Um, one, you, you want to confirm the information. So it would be somebody's responsibility to, to get on the phone and to start making those types of calls to confirm what we're hearing. Um, but the other side of the equation is then someone's responsible for getting reaction to this mm -hmm. sort of thing. Uh, often those roles go hand in hand. In many cases, they'll end up being the, the same person. But the 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 real problem that the industry has suffered from for some time, you sort of intimated it uh, right out of the gate there, and that is that need to be first. And that has been a huge problem within the industry for a very long time. Every single news director I have ever worked with has had four or five television screens in their office going simultaneously. And when news, whenever news would break, we would get that information out there. If we were first, we would get a congratulatory email from the boss stating not that we beat the competition by an hour or two, not that we beat the competition by tens or twenties of minutes, but that we beat them by a minute and a half. And when you create that environment where you have a need to be first, you usually are willing to forego a lot of the Edward R. Murrow-esque journalistic integrity checkboxes as a result, specifically multiple sources. Can we confirm this is actually a thing? We also have a habit of saying, well, since this is now cable news, it's a 24-hour cycle, we're under zero obligation to provide balance. And that's because if you provided balance by bringing on someone who had one opinion about the topic and then someone else who had a, an alternative opinion, that would take so much time just to get all those ducks in a row and to present that to the public that by that point, the competition has already had on one guy for 20 minutes with his opinion. Mm 
Mm -hmm. 20 minutes later, they managed to find somebody else who's got a converse opinion on that topic. And you as the viewer haven't been sticking around for that entire hour. You only got a little bit of it. And you walk away going, yeah, this, this media operation is biased. Well, of course it's going to seem biased if the goal is to get the information out first as opposed to get the information out accurately and with balance. Yeah. How is that with mental health for newscasters? We want to talk about mental health with news and how you're, how you're um, absorbing the news, especially in 2020. Mm-hmm. But let's first talk about how, how is it in the newsroom? Um, it's... The, the people who are in news, radio, television, news, I, I'm going to say to a much lesser degree print because there is a, a pace in print that is lethargic by comparison. Um, the pressure to get the information out is paramount um, and you have no choice but to put your own feelings and emotions to the back of you. Uh, the perfect example is... Um, the Sandy Hook massacre mm-hmm. in the United States. That was the last major event before my wife, who was a 12-year veteran of 680 News, the most listened to midday radio personality in the country. It was her job to go on the radio and talk about what had gone down with the killings of these small children in a school shooting. And at the same time, She was, again, because it's an all-news radio format with a wheel where you not only have every 30 minutes a fresh newscast, but you've got uh, the 15 and 45 headline packages, so four times an hour for a six-hour shift. You're talking about bullets that were so big that they tore through the cinder block walls of the uh, nursery rooms and embedded themselves in the cars parked in the parking lot while simultaneously realizing that the children who stood in the way of those bullets were the same age as our daughter. Wow. Um, That, I I won't speak for her as far as her her, her mental state on that, other than to say that that is a horrific thing to have to ignore and push back behind you to focus on the job at hand. And invariably what happens whether it's a, a horrific scenario such as that, or it's just a, some big breaking news thing where everybody has to gather and marshal their forces. You push back the stress associated with that and you get home and then that avalanche catches up with you and it overwhelms mm-hmm. you. Uh, and the industry does not have a track record for handling that very well. I used to work with a a police reporter who was an alcoholic, uh, like a flat out drunk. And the reason why was he had to cover the Paul Bernardo trial. And it broke him to learn that Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey had their ankle tendons cut by uh, Bernardo and his wife, Carla Homolka so that they couldn't run away. And then they did their business with these two young girls. Um, That broke that man. And then what did they do? What did the radio station do? They kept assigning him all of these horrific stories until he was a shell of a human being. And where's the responsibility by the news organization to take care of their people? 
there is a, 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 a phrase in the business that goes, if you're sick, show up. If you're dead, bring a doctor's note. And that has been in the industry for time immemorial. And if that is a, a, a genuine opinion of the news managers in media, radio or television, then how on earth do you think a Bell Let's Talk program is really playing out inside Bell Media? We all rolled our eyes at the assignment of having to bring someone on and talk about Bell Let's Talk because we knew what horrible experiences were uh, going on in the news business and continue to go on today. Mm -hmm. And how is it with, is there a responsibility, I guess, with the newscaster and the listener saying, hey, COVID could impact a lot of people's mental health. Let's see how we could see if we can make this even more, be more gen genuine with it. Not genuine, but like be more, Sympathetic with it. Um, Larry Silver, when, no, when no, nobody, nobody gives a shit. The, no. the reality is, is nobody really cares. The only thing we care about is getting your attention. So if um, doing a story about the mental health implications of COVID-19 doesn't blow up on the web as a result of your story, you're never going to hear another story about COVID-19 and mental health again. The industry is caught up in chasing the metrics of digital downloads and views and listens um, to the point where the only reason why anyone in a news meeting would ever say, you know what, we should probably do a big thing about the mental health implications of COVID-19 is because someone in that meeting thinks that that will spike ratings, that that will be the kind of content that people will want to consume. Now, we're looking at it not from the perspective of, well, this is important stuff. We should talk about it. We're talking about it from this is stuff people are interested in consuming, mm -hmm. which means it explains why um, so many really important topics never get addressed on the nightly news, never get addressed on a website because they don't have the same kind of clickbait-like reaction with the public. And so really important issues get pushed to the back, uh, largely because we don't think that people are going to be all that interested in that thing. And particularly if it's an uncomfortable topic, you know, it, when we talk about some really substantive issues, they can make people tremendously uncomfortable. And unless we are willing to force people out of their comfort zones, mm -hmm. they're not going to hear about it. But in this day and age, how can we force people out of their comfort zones? They're not going to hear about it if they don't want to hear about it. They're just going to change the channel, flip the page, click on a different link. And you know, it's, and I find, I always tell this story to my mom because she, she hates Trump, but of course she watches it all the time. And it's like the, the classic Howard Stern uh, example. I hate, I hate Howard Stern, but did you hear what he said last night? Right. That, that's, that's a, um, that is a bit of a different scenario that, that plays out. Um, and it, it speaks to a, an issue within the industry that we don't really like to talk about, which is um, when you're putting out content, people will either consume it because they like it and they want it, or they'll consume it because it makes them angry. And we have spent way too much time 
focused on creating content because we know it pushes buttons. Mm -hmm. And it's easy. It's lazy. It's lazy journalism to um, go out there and start creating content that's designed to rile people up. But that was the Fox News model. Um, they built that model of winding people up specifically because they knew it would keep people watching. The whole idea, you know, that a lie can make its way around the world uh, in the same time it takes the truth to tie its shoes. Um, it's the same kind of issue. Why don't we create content that gets people's blood boiling? Because they'll keep watching. They'll keep listening. Talk radio is exactly the same way. Who on earth calls into a talk radio station with the expectation they're moving the needle on the topic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I remember Tom Rivers always told me about this, about how, why talk radio is for guys, because guys are more passionate about it and they're willing to dial the number, wait on the phone for 20 minutes to actually say something for a minute. Um, like, like, like just, just run the numbers on that. If you were talking yeah. to your accountant about it and it was a financial conversation, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, 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 as, and as I say, you know, the, the, the talk radio hosts that we hear are, are clearly focused on that clickbait-like conversation because they know it grabs attention. They know mm -hmm. it gets people to stick around. Um, when it comes to radio, there's a, there's a phrase in the business that I absolutely love. Um, it's, it's substantively less of a, a topic today because a lot of people don't listen to the radio anymore. But um, it was called the ice cream moment. You want to create content on the radio such that as people are driving home from the grocery store, knowing that in the trunk they've got a tub of ice cream that if they don't get it into the freezer within the next 30 minutes or so, it's going to start to melt. Uh, but you pull into the driveway listening to the radio and you're so caught up in what you're listening to, you're willing to sit there with the car idling in the driveway to finish listening to the segment and let the ice cream melt. We need to create ice cream moments within the industry. And the easiest, the simplest, the laziest way to do it is to incite people. And so that's what the entire industry is focused on, not on creating content that's valuable, useful, and informative and interesting. We just like to push the anger button because it's the easiest button to push. We're talking to Michael Hainsworth about news. And uh, so 2020 for news guys have been really exciting. Kobe, COVID, Trump, is there a little bit of you wanted to be in the newsroom this year just so you could cover that or this year? Um, well, it's funny you should say that because um, when I walked away from mainstream media to become an independent content producer in 2018, um, before I did that, I went on sabbatical because within the news business um, and media, generally speaking, uh, we're all taught at the very beginning of our careers, do not define yourself through your career. We hear that generally with a lot of different industries. The problem with media is that media is so unique. Like who is going to define themselves through their career if they are a paper pusher in a cubicle? No one is going to say, hey, I'm all about cubicles. But media is a different beast altogether. It's mm -hmm. super sexy, it's strange. We, we always identify <laughs> ourselves through the business. So 
I wanted to find out before I left if I could leave um, and, and if you know, I would regret it. And so I actually called up, well, not called up, I texted or emailed um, a guy named Desmond Brown, who used to be a reporter at CTV Toronto. I never worked with him directly, um, but recently I've seen his, his real estate signs all over the, the beaches in the East End. I'm like, that's a guy who left television news to become a real estate agent. Point of order, he actually was a real estate agent before he got into television <laughs> news and went, screw this shit, and he left. <laughs> yeah. um, but had spent a good portion of his career doing television news. And so I, I, I wanted to ask him only one question. And so when we met up for coffee, he was very gracious with this cold call. Met up for coffee. The first question I asked him, and we spoke for a good hour, was the only question, as I say, I really wanted the answer to, which was, do you miss it? And when I asked him, do you miss it? His response was immediate. He didn't even have to think about it. He said, of course I miss it. But you know what I don't miss? My son's hockey games. And it was very valuable to me on two points. One, that it was okay to miss it. That it was going to happen. I was going to miss it. And uh -huh. that it was okay to miss it. He gave me permission to miss it. But the bigger issue was that, oh my God, you're absolutely right. I will have the freedom to spend time with my then younger daughter, she's about 12, um, in a way that I could never before. And so sure enough, after I had left, a few months later, I got a, an email from the Harborfront Culinary Camp at which we had enrolled her over the summer saying, hey, come on down on Thursday and your child will cook you lunch. And for the first time in my career at 12.59, <laughs> PM, I wasn't signing off the 12 o'clock news. I was seated on a beautiful <laughs> patio on a wonderful sunny day, right on the water. And my daughter shows up with a tray and an apron. And it was an <laughs> awesome father-daughter experience. I do miss it. There's no two ways about it. And one of the big reasons why one misses it is the Stockholm syndrome that comes with being in the industry for so long. Like, how could you possibly do anything else? Mm -hmm. But also, um, everyone in the business, and as again, I say, with the exception of newspaper people, um, are addicted to the adrenaline rush that comes with tight deadlines. The real world does not operate on deadlines that are five minutes, an hour. Two hours from now, you need to have this thing complete. The real world works on weekly, monthly, quarterly types of deadlines. And when you are in an environment where you have to perform, you have to meet that deadline, there is no choice. It's dead air if you don't meet the deadline. Um, it creates adrenaline junkies. And so I was desperately afraid of that as an issue for me, and it is. So. It took a long time, it took about a year to wean myself off the adrenaline rush that comes with having those types of really tight deadlines. But once I had, I stepped back and I recognized how horrible it is to my mental health. People would say to me, you left, it looks like it took 10 years off your face. How crazy is that? Yeah. And so as a listener, how do you think 2020 has really happened with news and what is what are the listeners duty right now listening to news what would you recommend them when is it too much when is it too little when should they tune in are they consuming too much i think by and large we consume way too much news 
This is a weird thing to say for a guy who spent most of his career in news. Um, I take Twitter breaks from time to time, three or four days where I'm just not connected to that nonsense. And I'm also not connected to the general news flow uh, as well. Um, on a day, to, it's very much like your investments. You could monitor the stock market every single day and drive yourself crazy with the ups and downs. You will do the same thing with news. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need the day-to-day -day minutia. Yeah, we need the big picture, but we actually kind of have people for that. We, we take politicians and we elevate them to political power so that they can deal with the day-to-day -day machinations for us on the political spectrum. And that plays out into a whole bunch of other things as well. If we want to be responsible for keeping on top of everything, why do we hire politicians in the first place? Why do we hire authority figures to be responsible for that day to day? It sounds really weird to say, but the mental health implications of being dialed in to the 24-7 news cycle are only beginning to be understood right now, particularly in light of the fact that it's that media outlet's responsibility to itself, not to you, to itself, to wind you up as much as possible because we know that that's what keeps you tuned in. Mm -hmm. So you need to recognize that the media is really not there for you. It's there for its shareholders. It's there for the individuals who go, if I don't do this this way, somebody else will and I will get a pink slip. That is the underlying problem with media today, is we're very much aware of how tenuous our position is within the organization. We're very much aware of the circling the drain revenue model that traditional media currently has. And so when we are presented with an option to incite and inflame or educate and appease, we ask ourselves, which one of those two is more likely to get me in good standing with the boss? And then, well, that's the path that I'm going to have to take. Yeah. Now, we're recording this on Monday. Tomorrow's the election. Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. I was there in 2016. It was my job at CTV News Channel to explain to the viewers throughout the course of the evening why the Electoral College was designed to prevent Donald Trump from winning in the first place. And we were gobsmacked by that. I sat next to Lord Tubby the entire time, Conrad Black, and uh, which was a bizarre experience in and to itself. Um, but it was a really exciting night. I was really um, thrilled to be a part of it. But I am also thankful that I have not had to spend the last two years talking about every single goddamn thing that comes out of that orange menace's mouth. Because we were obligated to try to present everything in an unbiased view, which, you know, we know naturally everybody's got biases, but we also know that professionals have the ability to step outside of that and act responsibly. Having said that, um, I, I don't think I could do it. I, I, um, I, I, at, when he was first elected, I called him the Donald. And my news director came to me and said, Michael, you need to show him respect. And in the back of my head was like, no, I really don't. This man is showing the position of office and the public at large, nothing but contempt, no respect whatsoever. And we as the media have an obligation to hold him to account for that lack of respect. And if we can do it in hard manners as well as soft manners, like calling him the Donald and undermining this credibility he's trying to steal from the position, 
we're telegraphing to the viewer, you should also be concerned about this. You should also be worried about it. But no, the biggest fear my news director had was that I would be accused of bias and that people would say, well, you, you can't listen to Hainsworth because he obviously doesn't like Trump. Well, of course I don't like Trump. The man is a monster. You know, New Yorkers didn't vote for him. They knew him. Torontonians didn't vote for Rob Ford. We knew him. We knew these people were monsters. And we tried to telegraph that to you, but no, 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 we gotta be unbiased because the biggest fear that a news director has is that a member of the public, more accurately, a member of the viewing audience will accuse you of bias and change the channel. And all you need to do to get a story scrapped is to pick up the phone and get that news director on the telephone face-to-face -face virtually type of thing. Yeah. And tell that person that that reporter is biased and tell them why you think so. You will scare the ever-loving daylights out of a news director into going up to that reporter and tearing a strip off them. I've had news directors come to me. A viewer said, you said this. And I say, well, did you look at the tape? Because we by fucking law have to record every goddamn thing we say. Did you go back to the very easily accessible digital tape that's only a click away? No, you got up from your desk after getting the email and went to me to tear a strip off me based upon something you didn't even confirm. That happened all the time. And not just with one specific news director, all of them did that because they're desperately afraid. So you say, well, you know, tomorrow the election, my heart sinks because I, well, actually it doesn't really sink because I don't have to deal with the nonsense that has occurred over the course of Trump's first term and the denigration of media as biased, fake news, alternative facts type nonsense. Because I, I don't know how mentally I would have been able to spend four years, two years was bad enough, but four years quoting that horrible human being. You're talking about Donald and we're talking about news. Now, of course, you can't talk about news without talking about Twitter in 2020. Uh, the first time I heard of any news breaking on Twitter was Michael Jackson passing. Right. And at that time, it was just kind of like, oh, you heard it from Twitter. Yeah, that's, that's not official. That's just social media. Now that's where everything is, especially mm -hmm. with, with, with him and his, his 50 tweets within 10 minutes overnight. Um, how important has Twitter become to the news cycle? That depends on the angle that you're looking for. If you're talking about it from the perspective of what kind of editorial decisions do we make based upon what we're seeing on Twitter, um, it's paramount. Um, I remember when we installed a big ass screen in the newsroom that had the analytics for the website um, and the social media stuff and all that kind of stuff. And it would just cycle like a dashboard, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And almost immediately we went from, so, this is a big news story, isn't it? We should probably spend the day talking about this to people coming up to the content creators going, um, this thing is blowing up on the web. Can you do more of that? Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that this thing, which was successful and popular is, is doing very well. Instead of finding something else that we can also do that's very successful and popular and doing well, you just want me to regurgitate the same type of content over and over and over because it's already getting hits? And the answer is yes. Um, and so Twitter in a, a similar vein um, can sort of be the tail wagging the dog. And 
you see a trending Twitter topic on something and suddenly the news department figures, oh, well, this is what everyone's interested in. Therefore, this is what we need to focus on. Well, the problem is, is that the people who say that and make those decisions generally not very technology savvy. I, 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 am a, I, I banged my head against the wall for most of my career trying to drag the operation I was working in into the modern age. You know, back at 680 News, it started off with we had Rogers Communications email addresses. So I literally went out and bought 680news.net and gave free 680news.net email addresses to reporters so that they could sound official and people understood where they were coming from back at the time. And then I went to management and said, hey, I've done all this. I'm willing to give it to you for free. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. Uh, and that was you know, 25 years ago. Um, and even that sort of thing extends into today um, with the, the concept of mobile first. Mobile first is seven, eight years old as a phrase. Um, but you've got major media operations still creating content for 47-inch screens instead of 4.7-inch screens. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think I've just sort of talked myself down a rabbit hole, so I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> where are we going with this? <laughs> So what do you think is going to happen after the election? I think we've saw the worst of the news so far in 2020, knock on wood. Um, what do you think uh, Wednesday on? Do you think? Um... Okay, so th this is hilarious. This is going to be awesome because we're recording this conversation before any of this has happened. By the time it gets out, um, my predictions will either be proven uh, clairvoyant or completely out of my ass. Um, he here's my my belief, I'm not going to call it a fear. I genuinely believe this. Let's talk about round numbers. Let's say there are 400 million Americans in the United States. There's 380 million. 400 million Americans. We know 120 million of those own guns. Let's round it down to 100 million of those own guns. What if one in a million of those gun owners is a crackpot who has lost their marbles? That is 100 active shooter events post-presidential election. Now, let's say that one in a million have lost their, their marbles. What if it's not one in a million? What if it's only 10 of those 100 million people who lose their marbles, not 100? What if it's only one? That's still bloodshed. I am convinced there will be bloodshed post-election day, possibly even on election day, because those who have guns are not Democrats. The least likely American to own a gun in the United States is a Democrat Hispanic female. The most likely gun owner in the United States is an angry white suburban male. And those guys are the domestic terrorists of the 21st century. And those guys have free reign in the United States right now, particularly after Charlottesville. So what we are going to see is a huge media reaction to whatever, whether it's one gun uh, active shooter incident or 100, we are going to see the media nonstop reporting on these things as they're happening, which means we're going to be filled with misinformation um, coming from those who don't like what they're seeing and think that it makes them look bad. We're going to see inaccurate information from a media that is breathlessly trying to tell you everything that they don't even really know yet. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then you're going to get the public reaction on Twitter, which will then tell the algorithms that this is a thing and it will wind us up in the media as, look, obviously people care about this. Now, yes, if it's one active shooter or 100, we are going to care about it. So it's not like it's a, a false narrative of, of news that, oh, this isn't really a thing. Definitely it's going to be a thing. The problem is, is it's going to be the only thing for some time. And it's going to wear us out again because the media doesn't know when to stop because all they see are the metrics on the dashboard that tell them people are interested in this. Keep going. Yeah. Michael Hainsworth, I love you. And uh, thank you for being here, bud. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Shower for the Soul. Don't forget to leave a review and send us some love. Now, if you have a suggestion for the show or just want to get in touch, reach out to me personally at hostshane at gmail.com or follow me on social. On Instagram, you can find me at either at shanefamecom or famefriends. And on Twitter, it's at famefriendspod. Share for the Soul is a Fame and Friends production.